Welcome to Chapel Under the Oaks. Today is February 21st, 2021, and it's the first Sunday of Lent. But it's also Ash Wednesday for us. We missed our Ash Wednesday service due to the winter storm that hit Texas last week. So we are celebrating Ash Wednesday as part of this Sunday service. Thank you for joining us. A few notes on Ash Wednesday. The first Christians observed with great devotion the passion and resurrection of Jesus, and it became the custom of the church to prepare for them with a 40-day season of penitence and fasting. They began the 40-day period by reminding themselves of their mortality and their need for a Savior. The ashes imposed on the forehead in the shape of the cross are a symbol of our need to repent and claim the grace of Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading comes from Psalm 51, 1 through 17, and Luke 9, 22 through 24. I'll be reading from the New International Version. First, David's Psalm of Repentance. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And now, from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' words to his followers about the cost of discipleship. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. And now the message for today. Please pray with me. Almighty God, make me an instrument of your salvation and sanctification for these precious people entrusted to my care through this podcast, that by my life and teaching, I may set forth your true and living word. Amen. Several years ago, I attended a funeral of someone very close to me. This was before COVID before death and dying became so much a part of our daily lives. And yes, it was a funeral, not a memorial service or a celebration of life with an urn of ashes and a beautiful portrait in the front of the church. Nope, this was a good old fashioned body in the box, stand around the grave funeral, a death, a burial. It was sparsely attended, just the closest family members were there It had been a long time coming. The deceased had hung on for years before finally succumbing to the ultimate letting go. You know, sometimes death is a blessing. Like when Keith and I buried our dads over 15 years ago. They had passed away from complications of Alzheimer's. For many, many years before they died, they were sick. Lost, really lost to us, to their friends. Their bodies were there, but the men they had been for 80 or more years were no longer in them. In their case, death was a welcome blessing, and sometimes it is. That was certainly the case at this funeral that I attended. Still, despite the relief for the family and the ultimate joy that the loved one is no longer in pain, death never comes easily. It's not something most of us go willingly toward. Jesus, the reason for Ash Wednesday and for everything we as Christ followers believe, do, and live, Jesus knew this better than anyone. Last Sunday was Transfiguration Sunday, the church's annual celebration of Jesus's glorification on a mountain in Israel. Now, of course, We were not able to meet because of the historic winter storm that paralyzed our central Texas world. But normally, the Transfiguration is always celebrated on the last Sunday before Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. The 40 days of Lent lead us through Holy Week to Easter. Now, if you don't come from a faith tradition that follows the universal church calendar, you may not have celebrated Transfiguration Sunday before, But I bet you've heard the story. We find it in all four Gospels, like Jesus' baptism, which lends even more importance to it. It occurs in the final years of Jesus' ministry. Jesus takes his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and goes up onto a mountain to pray. While he is praying, his appearance changes, and he is joined by Moses and Elijah, who have been with God in heaven for many centuries at this point. 
All three are clothed in white, radiant, glowing in a heavenly way. They have a conversation about Jesus's return to heaven and the series of events that must happen before that time. Meanwhile, Peter and the others have, not surprising, fallen asleep. But they wake up just in time to hear God say, as he did at Jesus's baptism in the Jordan River, this is my son, the chosen one. This time, he adds for the disciples' benefit, listen to him. Mountains play a big role in our worldly culture, don't they? Think of the songs you know about mountains. Climb every mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. She'll be coming round the mountain. And ain't no mountain high enough. My personal favorite, sung by the incredible Marty Robbins, as he sings, Lord, you gave me a mountain. Mountain imagery also permeates our language. We talk of a mountain of paperwork or laundry or bills. We speak of a great challenge as a mountain to climb, and we cherish what we call mountaintop experiences in our faith. Mountains play starring roles in the Bible as well. Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark rested when the flood waters subsided. Mount Moriah, where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. Later, Mount Moriah became the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Mount Sinai, where God made a covenant with the Israelite people and Moses received the Ten Commandments. Mount Carmel, where the prophet Elijah called on God to defeat the pagan prophets of Baal. The Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Olives, Mount Zion, the Hill of Calvary, known as Golgotha. The actual mountain where the transfiguration took place is unnamed in the Bible, which gives Bible scholars one more thing to debate about. Some believe it was Mount Tabor, which has an altitude of about 1,886 feet. Now, at this height, it compares to Enchanted Rock, which is not too far from here, where we live. Other scholars believe it was Mount Hermon, Israel's highest peak, which has an elevation of a little over 9,200 feet which makes it similar to the top elevation of the Angel Fire Ski Resort in New Mexico, if you've ever been there. A significant difference from our little enchanted rock. Whichever it was, we read that Jesus and the disciples climb this mountain to pray. There's a good reason for that. Jesus needed time with the Father to prepare for what lies ahead. For when he comes down the mountain, he will soon begin his journey to Jerusalem, a journey toward crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ultimately ascension into heaven. His mission is almost complete, but not before suffering and death. This event on the mountain that we call the transfiguration is a way of getting Jesus ready for what's coming. You might think of it as a heavenly pep talk before the big game. Picture the football coach huddling up the players and giving them those last few words of wisdom before they take the field. God even sends two of his team captains, Moses and Elijah, to do some of the talking before the Almighty himself speaks to his son, reminding him of his identity and his mission. When Jesus came down from the mountain and set his face toward Jerusalem, he knew what awaited him. 
torture, pain, betrayal, abandonment, humiliation. One of the men he called friends would turn him into the authorities. Another would deny he even knew him. And the others would run away in fear and hide. His body would be assaulted, beaten, and nailed to a cross. He would hang naked in public view as his captors gambled with his clothes and mocked him with snide remarks about his divinity, his oneness with the Father. And speaking of the Father, he would feel alone for the first time since the beginning of time as he took upon himself our failures, yours and mine and the rest of the world's. The murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles, the adulterers, the jealous, the proud, the haters, the selfish, everyone who has ever sinned, even respectable sins like pride and ambition. Everyone. No wonder Jesus repeatedly used the language of death and dying to describe how we come to him how we receive his grace and forgiveness, how we become one with him. Death was constantly on his mind, particularly as he began his journey to Jerusalem and the cross. Jesus's words haunt us, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Or in the message translation, if you grasp and cling to life on your own terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. Paul sums it up well in his letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Passed away, dead, buried. You've attended your own funeral. That's what we are called to do, and there is no time like Lent to get busy dying. Letting go of those things that get in the way of being completely with God, with Jesus, every moment of your life. You know those things, when we're doing them, thinking them, focused on them, we don't feel connected to God like we do at other times. That's because we aren't. And the only way to remain connected to Jesus, to be the branches to his vine, is to do what he said, die to our own desires and be resurrected into a complete life with God. Oswald Chambers, a mid-19th century theologian and author of My Utmost for His Highest, says that no one can experience a complete, full life with God through Jesus until you experience your own funeral, not just the death, but the burial of your old self. Giving up our lives, our control, that's not natural to us humans, and no one comes to it easily. For as Chambers puts it, death means you stop being. So why would anyone be willing to do this? Why have trillions of people over the past 2,000 years 
been willing to do this. Because once you stop being you, you start being his. You and Jesus are one, as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. Stop and start. And then, my brothers and sisters, life really begins. It's Lent. We are about to take our own journey to Jerusalem. We are about to put ashes on ourselves and leave this place with the mark of the cross. When you look in the mirror later today, you'll see that smudge on your forehead and maybe think about this service. If you do, remember this. It's time to attend your own funeral, to let go of those things that keep you from a complete life with God, with Jesus, to stop and start. Visualize your complete new creation self, fresh, unblemished by sin, bathed in grace, and living with Jesus inside you. Picture that version of you standing around a grave with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, watching those last pieces of your old self be covered up with the dust of the earth. And remember the date, the place, the time, just as you do for other loved ones you've buried. Remember so that when Satan tempts you to be the person you used to be, even in one small, seemingly insignificant way, you can say, as I can say, no, that woman, that man is dead. I know. I attended the funeral. Not a memorial service or a celebration of life with an urn of ashes and a beautiful portrait in the front of the church. Nope. This was a good old-fashioned body-in-the-box stand-around-the-grave funeral. A death. A burial. It was sparsely attended. Just my closest family members were there. God, my Father, Jesus, my brother, and the Holy Spirit my constant companion. It had been a long time coming. You see, I had hung on for years before finally succumbing to the ultimate letting go. And when I did, life really began. May your Lenten season be a time for the ultimate letting go. May you stand with your closest family members, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and attend your own funeral. May you stop being you and start being His. And then may you be blessed with the abundant, with God life that follows. Amen. (laughs) 